Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, March 17th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, and episode 306 featuring Celtics radio analyst Cedric Maxwell is brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Beat or use the promo code CLNS50 to get a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Today's show also brought to you by The Athletic. Get 40% off your monthly subscription just by going to theathletic.com slash Celticspeed. Welcome in. New edition of Celtics Beat. Adam Kaufman here with you. And normally I'd preamble and whatever else. I don't want to do that. we got a whole lot to cover, and we're going to bring on a guy who is, I mean, he's a good friend of the program for one, but also routinely one of my favorite guests. I'm not just saying that because he's here. He knows that. He always makes me laugh. Cedric Maxwell, C's radio analyst and, of course, a former NBA Finals MVP. Max, how are you? I'm doing fine, sir. How about you? Well, like I said, you're here, so I'm doing great. Great, yeah. All right. Let's get it. We got a lot to get into. Let's start, though, with this plane ride, the one that, you know, headed out west before that trip. Everyone has talked about it after the team had lost five of six, instantly finds its mojo, blows out the Warriors, survives the Kings without Kyrie Irving that next night, convincing win over the Lakers before the ugly loss to the Clippers. We know that. This actually is what Kyrie uh, had to say about the flight right after beating Golden State. That long plane ride helped us out. You know, we needed it. We needed it. We were going to get to a point where we were just going to get tired of fighting each other, fighting, you know, the outside world, and it doesn't really matter. So we just want to come out here and just play basketball. This is our sanctuary, and we have to do everything to protect it. We can't let anybody infiltrate this. Max, what happened on that flight? Was it just a giant Jerry Springer episode or what? Well, you know, there it's really funny. The, the plane, it's a huge plane, 757. And so the players are essentially in the front, and the media, we're all the way in the back. So mm. we don't really see that much of them. Uh, I think, but what they do, they're they're, they're playing uh, cards and they're playing dice, and I mean, and I think it gives them somewhat of a sanctuary to get away and have to be with each other. Whereas this league is uh, a constant thing where individuals put on their headphones and or their gaming or whatever it is and social media, but on that plane, it was some of somewhat of a sanctuary. There is. Wi-Fi, but they're forced to kind of be with each other for a while and to get a chance to know their teammates a little bit better and just to kind of let off some steam after, you know, having such a, a, I think, a horrid week before the way they played. 
did that have to happen? I mean, this far into the season, I don't know exactly what it was, but call it 60, 65 games into the year, something like that, where it's not a blow-up necessarily. I don't think, and there have been no reports of guys on the plane just screaming at each other, but where you do have to, three quarters into the year, have that little venting session, clear the air a little bit versus guys getting on the same page much earlier in the season. Because I know that's what a lot of people have worried or, or wondered about. Why is it taking so long? Well, let's say, do it like this. Let's just say, like, when you have your television and you reboot it, mm-hmm. and you have to sit down and just look at a blank, black screen for a while, and yeah. all of a sudden the information comes back on and it's crystal clear, your TV's back on. That seemed like what the Celtics did. They rebooted. And uh, I think they're, a little folk, they're more focused. I think that what you see is glimpses of what, what could make them and what makes them good. Uh, you know, having the resurgence of Gordon Haywood, uh, you know, playing well. Morris the other day, rebounding the basketball. You know, they're just starting to play. This is the way you need to be playing going into the playoffs mm-hmm. of, you know, extending yourself, of understanding how to win games. Uh, you know, to go out there and to, if you told Brad Stevens or Danny Ainge or anybody with the Celtics that they were going to go on that four game road trip. And they were going to come back three and one, and they were playing Golden State and teams like that, and all those teams that beat them. You would say mm, you would accept that immediately. And yeah. um, Celtics beat Golden State convincingly, and uh, you know it's just it was it was fun to see them back into that little rhythm and having a little bit of swagger in their game. You know, I had Ben uh, Rohrbach from Yahoo Sports on the show last week, and he just, as we were casually talking about the team and and what's ailed them at points this year, he just, as a new dad, he is a a kid only about a month old, I have a baby that's a little under a year old, and he just sort of floated offhandedly, you know what, like maybe these guys just kind of have to get away from their families a little bit. It's hard being obviously a a young parent with young kids at home Mm -hmm. trying to balance that with work, and, and you know, you're not sleeping as much despite all the money these guys make, and yeah, they have health whether live in nannies or whatever else but you are increasingly just agitated when you're hearing crying or constantly changing diapers or doing whatever else you played you've experienced that you've been in those Mm -hmm. locker rooms and this team there are a lot of of guys young guys with young kids as well do do you buy into that theory at all well I, i don't know if i necessarily buy into that theory and the reason i say that is because a lot of times that's what you'll see on the road is you'll see they will bring their kids Hmm. You know, Gordon Haywood, Daniel Tice, uh, you know, they will have their kids. on the, And it, I just think that just getting away from Boston and getting away from the pressure and being in a um, being in a bubble, um, you know, is Kyrie staying? Well, what's going on there? Is Gordon Haywood playing? Is Terry Rozier? He's not been playing. It's all these things surrounding this team to get on the flight and then to go on the road. And then to kind of eliminate some of the noise. Mm-hmm. I mean, you love playing at home, but it seems like there are times when the Celtics have played their worst basketball at home instead of playing their best basketball at home. Brad Stevens said with the regular season winding down that the key to being ready for the playoffs, like you talked about, obviously it's getting all on the same page, but obviously also everyone improving their habits on defense, especially transition half-court D and execution. Those are the main areas. Is anything missing? You like food. Let's put it this way. Any other recipes for the secret sauce of success? I think the biggest thing about this team right now is that they have to defend in transition. 
to me, rebounding the basketball. If you get Baines back, I think that's a good thing for you too, especially playing a team like Philadelphia because Baines is, uh, you know, that big body that Joel Embiid can't go through. Uh, he's uh, So I, I look at some of those things, the health of the team, and just the mental state of the team, of getting back on the same page of, you know, playing for each other. If they play for each other, they're going to have a very good second part of the season. But if they play individual basketball, it's going to be it's going to be one and done. You mentioned Aaron Baines, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the team has started winning since he's come back from the foot injury after missing a month. And I know people that that like to live in the numbers, and it's it's not just that; it's it's watching. I mean, the eye test applies here too, I suppose. But negative net rating when he's been on the floor, the team has struggled on both ends when he's been on the floor. We're only talking about a handful of games, a small sample size. But I just I do think that there's there's something about Aaron Baines' presence that transcends numbers. Of course, I've I've been accused of overrating his impact. So, what do you think? No, I think you're right. I think that what you what you look at Aaron Baines is that he's become a better scorer. He's, I think the real big thing with him, he's a roadblock. Mm. You put him out there in the middle of the lane, he's disruptive defensively. He's, either he's taking charges or banging guys around or getting second-chance opportunities. The first time I ever saw Aaron Baines play, I think, what I remember was when he played with Detroit, and I was not really impressed. Mm. And then he came to the Celtics, and I started watching him do the smaller things and to see what kind of person he was. And he fits in so well with the younger players and the older players, and everybody loves him in this organization. What's the most important thing facing the Celtics down the stretch, you think? You know, the top priority, focus, goal, whatever it is. What's the thing that just matters more than anything else right now? Health. If they are a healthy team, I think they're going to be a dangerous team. So let's go with that. Health, health, number one. Two, their mental state. Mm. If they're playing, if they're playing great basketball and mentally they're into each other, people are like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, when you're playing good basketball and you have you're playing for the love of your game and your teammates and blocking out the noise, that is one thing this team has not been able to do with all the other circumstances surrounding things. You've heard Kyrie say, well, this job, you know, there are times when it's not fun. Not fun. <laughs> this, this ain't like you digging a ditch or, you know, you know, having to make pancakes for somebody. This is, you know, this is a job that is one of the most elite, most enjoyable jobs in the world. People right now would scratch your eyeballs out to have that particular job. So, you you have to understand, and I understand that he, you know, the social media and all the pressures there, but you are part of the social media. There's one word that can stop a lot of that. You know, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not on social media. But if you elect to be in that world, then you have to deal with it. That's just a generational problem at this point. It's, you know, less so even to the individual. I know you, you hear some guys like, Chris Sale on the Red Sox doesn't have any of the social media accounts, doesn't go near it, doesn't want to be bothered with it. But then 
you see his his buddy David Price there, and obviously members of the Celtics as well. That they, no matter what they say, they can't tune it out. It's just it's a part of their lives, and whether they're whether they're even looking at it themselves or not, looking at their mentions and everything, they still have. And this would be for sale for anybody, anyone in that world. They all have family members, friends, people in their inner circle, agent, whoever that still will regurgitate some of this stuff. Back to them. Is, is it just are we just in a miserable society, a miserable time to 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 live in this world right now where people are so consumed by the negative that the positive you gets know, lost? You know, you you're you are all over that. It is a different time uh, during the 80s when I played the worst thing you could do. And, and I never did this was I didn't read the newspapers and I wasn't watching, you know, all the shows the talking heads. Well, now there are more talking heads mm-hmm. and more of these things are about you. And when a player decides that he wants to have an individual battle on Twitter, you're not taking on one person, but you're taking on the entire world. Yep. And people are piling on. Chris Sales might be the smartest person around by staying away from it and, and, and just playing the game he loves. There's enough focus, you know, trying to win just being an individual. But when you collectively have to battle all these other tyrants and all these other things that are out there, it becomes that much more tough. Have you seen enough, despite all the ups, downs, inconsistencies of this team, to trust these guys in the playoffs? You said they're dangerous. I completely agree with that. But have you seen enough? Like, are they ready to put all their own individual crap, all their own agendas to the side and work together toward a title? I think they I think they are. Um, I'm seeing better signs, like – a couple of weeks ago, if you told me that the Celtics were playing uh, Sacramento and got down by 15, 16 points, no way they win. I thought that they had a chance. And every time I would see something, I've seen like a resurgence right now of Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown had a tough role to fill. He was a starter. He was trying to fit his game within, with, within the system. And then he goes to the bench, and he didn't didn't quite understand how to play. Now he is playing his best basketball of the season. Gordon Haywood just doesn't get acclimated, doing things to be a lot more aggressive, not only on the offensive end, but defensively. We're seeing a lot more from him. So those two variables alone, and you're seeing glimpses again of maybe Scary Terry. Mm-hmm. So I've always said this about this team, from top to bottom, this is the most talented team in the NBA. Not to have in the best starting five, they have a great starting five. But when you're able to bring off Gordon Haywood and Terry Rozier and uh, Jalen Brown off the bench, there are not – I only think there's a team in the NBA that's able to match that player for player with the guys that come off the bench that can change the perspective of the game for you. So with a little less than a month now till the playoffs and all of that in mind, Brad has prioritized, and I think logically, playing well, feeling good over seeding, even though that third spot in the East very much within reach. It's going to be a dogfight for that 3-4-5. How important to you is seeding and starting off at home and avoiding the road to begin? Well, I would love, I think that you look at the Celtics right now, if they're healthy, that should be their priority. Seeding would be great if they were starting out at home because everybody wants to be cheered. But the Celtics have played some of their worst ball at home. 
So I don't know if seeding is as important to me as playing well. The thing that they have to me, which is amazing, and I can't give you the stats like my broadcast partner, John Grandy, but <laughs> he, always, he always breaks it down when he starts talking about Kyrie Irving and what this team is like, what the Celtics are like on the road with him and without him. Kyrie Irving may be one of the best assassins in the league, especially on the road. You think about it, he had a history shot and go against Golden State when he's with Cleveland to do something for that franchise that nobody's ever seen. If you told me in the NBA right now, if you gave me three guys that would uh, I'd want to have the ball to in their hands mm. at the end of the basketball game on the road, Kyrie Irving would be one of those three. And the other ones would be Durant and Curry. Mm. Kyrie is, to me, one of the best finishers maybe in the history of the game. So if you have Kyrie Irving on the road in those situations, I'm not sure if seeding is more important than just playing well. Quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Lots of good NBA games coming up this week to throw some money on. You want some free money, right? Of course you do. Tough one for the Celtics Monday night hosting Denver. Isaiah Thomas will be in town, so probably a tribute video, even though it looks like he may not play in that game. Could be a value play, though, if you're looking to take the C's money line. They're in Philly Wednesday night. Boston handles Philadelphia very, very well traditionally. In the Celtics money line, it's basically free money. I'm not jinxing this at all, just want to tell you the way it's been. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat to get a 50% bonus when you sign up or use the promo code CLNS50. Don't be left on the sideline with all this excitement going on on the court. Plus, you can play in BetOnline's virtual casino, make some money there too. Don't forget about March Madness. It's coming up. So many games every single weekend. Opening weekend is a blast, and that is rapidly approaching next weekend. So many opportunities for you to cash in. Whatever you do, make sure you use BetOnline Line.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit or go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. Let's get back to the show. You mentioned Kyrie Irving. Let's get to the good stuff because for me, for a lot of people, it's Kyrie, Kyrie, Kyrie. You know, as this for you, has this been like watching just a really weird movie? You know, dynamic on the court, all the drama off the court. You're close to the team, closer than the vast majority of us. What's this year been like watching it from, you know, not totally behind the curtain. You're not in the locker room, but mm-hmm. but from right there and just observing all that, that he is, I'm going to phrase it this way, gone through but also put himself through. Yes, I think that's the biggest thing because you look at the beginning of the season, Kyrie Irving took all this stuff off the table by saying one thing. I gathered my teammates and I said, I'm coming back. All the noise was gone. There, there was no noise. You couldn't, there, there was nothing. And then somebody asked him a question and he said, I don't owe anybody anything. And I'll see you in July during free agency time. Mm. That started the whole, it was, <laughs> it just, it just, the media, everything blew up. So, I mean, it's been self, somewhat self-inflicted. And Kyrie has said it better than anybody said over the last couple of weeks. He said, I have not handled this well. I haven't handled this situation well. And because of, of that, it seems like he's turned on. You know, he's, and the thing about Kyrie, I think the biggest thing, talented as hell, 
but smart as hell. Sometimes too smart. Almost Rondo smart, where he knows your mm. move before you. So dial it down a little bit. Just think about it as playing the game that you've loved for all these years. Whatever happens in free agency happens. But I look at it this way. If you're the Boston Celtics, you can pay Kyrie more money than anybody else. Yep. You're in a great situation here. He has his teammate, his fan, the fans adore him. He has great teammates who help him out. Uh, he is your number one option. Why would you leave if you're Kyrie Irving? Well, I'm building. If you're saying, hey, if you're saying okay, I want to go to New York to put your foot in that. Well, I was just going to say, Max, you know, building upon whether or not he leaves Boston, I know people like to have fun with the would he reunite with LeBron in L.A., and I just don't think there's any chance of that, even though they've mended fences, but specifically New York, and and I know he's from the area, and, and there's an appeal to going home, but it is a dumpster fire there. The team's a disaster. Absolutely. The owner is a disaster. The media is no better than it is in Boston. The fans are Word. way less Word. forgiving. Yeah, and in yeah. some ways, probably, the fans are, are less forgiving, like I said. And I, I know there's the locale, and, and there is that wanting to star at MSG. But, but the man would have to have his head examined. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. If you're telling me that, it's like somebody was telling me that, hey, Clay Thompson's going to leave Golden State, and he's coming to L.A., I said, for what? Why would you do that? <laughs> and you're telling me right now Kyrie Irving would leave Boston to go to the Knicks. I'd be like, for what? Or go to L.A. to reunite with LeBron. Didn't he leave LeBron? And you want to go to L.A. to be in the Western Conference? This is one of those grass might look greener on the other side of the fence. <laughs> you don't want that grass over there. Matter of fact, it's not even grass. It's something else. It's horse manure, the green color that you might not even want to look at. It's the crap you're trying to grow the grass in. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I don't think that if you are Kyrie Irving, I mean, to me, and and obviously, you know, he's going to do what he wants to do. But he was the one, as you said, rightfully so, a lot of this situation, a lot of the noise around Kyrie was self-induced, self-inflicted. So – you know, maybe Kyrie has learned a lesson, and you go from there. But this is a a, a very, very talented, one of the most talented basketball players maybe ever to put his shoes on in Boston. I do think, Max, there's also a distinction in there. For instance, you know, most people at this point, with the regular season winding down and all the stuff that has happened this year, most people assume that Kyrie is leaving. I'm not one of them. I've never wavered in that. I believe that he is right. coming back. And in fairness... He went from, as you said, proclaiming his love for Boston early on to saying, ask me July 1st about his future. But what, you know, not a lot of people focus on is he never said he's not coming back. He never even said that he intends to test the market. He's just agitated and said, like, we're not talking about this right now. What do you expect? I I know what your opinion is based on what you just said that he should be doing. But what do you expect? I expect exactly what you and I talked about and the fact that Kyrie will be back. I don't see a logical situation for Kyrie to leave. Danny Ainge has a lot of things he has to do this year. Uh, are you going to make moves at the end of the offseason? I mean, this is going to be a great year to be a, a, a Celtic fan and a Celtic watcher. I would not want to be Danny Ainge right now. Hmm. With all the money to spend, with free agency, free agency out there, uh, but what you have, you have some solid pieces. 
You have Tatum, who is here. You have Brown, who is here. You have those guys still under contract. Younger, dynamic basketball players. Uh, Gordon Hayward is going to get better. Al Horford. You have a solid, one of the top coaches in the NBA. You have a great fan base. So there's so many great things about the Boston Celtics that, uh, you know, that makes Danny's job a lot harder. But at the same time, I wouldn't want it for the world. Yeah, possibly a few first-round draft picks coming his way as well. So he's he's still yeah. got that treasure trove of, of assets. But more on Kyrie. Have you, because, you know, you get close to some of these guys. You talk to them privately off the air, you know, away from the broadcast. And you go out to dinner occasionally with some of them. You had dinner uh, recently with Shemi Ojale. Have you talked to, to Kyrie just, you know, the two of you, about how he's handled this year, the mood swings, the interactions with the media, his future, being in Boston, leadership, handling pressure, all that stuff, just all the things that he's had on his plate that have led to such a stressful year for him personally. I mean, I can, this is going to be quick. No. <laughs> I have. Is that because you haven't Kyrie, tried or because Kyrie he doesn't is, let you in? No, I think Kyrie is really, uh, first of all, I'm not around Kyrie as much individually to sit down and talk to him. Me and Kyrie have had very limited conversations. And it's almost scary sometimes. He's like, hey, Max, you remember the time you and I were in Florida together when I was a rookie and I was going to come? I was like, whoa, Kyrie, you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. So conversations are very limited. He's a very quiet, uh, introverted. He has a very, very small group of people that he interacts with. And Cedric Maxwell is not one of them. I'm glad you mentioned the small friendly, group, though. I'm, yeah, I'm friendly enough to talk to him. Yeah. But I don't know that much about Kyrie Irving. I mean, I asked him that question. It was, I think, last year. And when I said, I'm going to ask you a question you've never heard before. And Sean went on to say, oh, there's no question you can ask Kyrie. We had him on for postgame. I remember and hearing I said, this. I said, Kyrie, I said, what was it like the first time you beat your father? Mm-hmm. And he just exploded man he was like oh my god Max it was like the best feeling in the world he says like I'd won the championship he said I start crying that's the most emotion I've got from Kyrie and it was a great answer it was one that he had not heard before and um you know I thought we were going to be like buddies but that's basically about it that was last call for alcohol See, I, I can uh, I can relate to that on a much smaller level because, you know, I, I didn't play basketball. My kid will never at a high level play basketball. I mean, I played, but not, you know, not like we talk about all of you people. But my kid, like, will be playing the Papa Shot down in the basement, and he will constantly be saying, let me win, let me win. And I just, I kill him every single time because <laughs> because because you, you have to set that foundation of when you do finally beat me, it will feel yeah. so good for you. Yes, that that is true with every father out there. I, and I will encourage any father out there, like, you know, drill your son. <laughs> you know, to drill them. You don't you don't give them anything because in the world nothing is given. Yeah. And it's an opportunity to teach lessons. Now I always tell all the kids that after you beat your father or you beat your mother, whoever it is. You're not going to be able to play them anymore because they're not going to play anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Walk away, I'm done. We're done here. And and I laugh because that's what Kyrie was talking about when he played his father. Like, he beat his father the first time. And since then, it's like, uh, I'm good. I'm all set. (laughs) Uh, And I remember that's how I did with my sons. 
when they finally beat me, my oldest son finally beat me, it was like he was running around like he was going to start popping bottles. <laughs> he was so pumped up, like they were throwing champagne out. So, so those things happen, and 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 so you know, with with that, with Kyrie Irving and his dad, and that question I asked him, that was just a great way to get some insight to Kyrie Irving really was. So you mentioned Kyrie just rolling in a, a small tight circle, and we know that about him as well. He and Jason Tatum, though, are really close. You know, I think for a number of reasons. They're teammates, Duke boys, they share the same agent, the, they've done camps together. There are a lot of different facets that, that bring them together. Now, I don't believe, we've talked about this, I don't believe that Danny Ainge would deal Jason Tatum for Anthony Davis. I know you do, or at least you would, but would Kyrie want that, do you think? And I ask that from this perspective. Davis is clearly further along in his career. He's one of the top players in the league, at least when he's mm-hmm. healthy and on the floor. But Kyrie's a weird duck, you know? Would, would he be okay with dealing Tatum away if it meant bringing Davis in? Well, I think one thing about it, I think he knows that it's business. And when you know it's business, then you're going you're gonna to make those, those changes. You're going to be in a, a, a position that you understand how, when, what, and what to do. And the game is a different game. And uh, when you play it the right way, and if you're looking at Kyrie Irving right now and said that, you know, trades are going to be made, that you have to understand as a basketball player. That's just the basic nature of the game. And, uh, you know, when you play it at level and you make those trades, I think good things happen. Would Kyrie do it, do you think? Clearly, it's it's Danny Ainge's decision. It's not up to Kyrie. But would Kyrie do it? Would he ship out Jason Tatum to bring in Anthony Davis, you think? Well, you know, I just think that if you look at the veteran player and you want to win, you're going to take the best players available. Yep. Jason Tatum is going to be a dynamic player. You know what you have in Anthony Davis. So if you're trying to make super teams, you make super trades. And sometimes players have to be sacrificed. Is it true in just in in what you've observed? Because, you know, I don't know that you definitively know, but like Kevin O'Connor reported on The Ringer recently that Kyrie is really only close with Jason among his teammates. Is there that much of a divide in that room? Does it seem like he's he's not all that tight with anyone else? Um, You know, I don't know enough about Kyrie to tell you um, that, you know, who he hangs out with. I think he loves to win. I think he loves the game in a huge way, but I think that you also um, just understand um, that winning becomes habit for me. Mm. And to to win games, to me, is always a huge thing. So I think Kyrie is going to be fine, uh, you know, winning. But when you lose games, I think there, there are times when you just you, you just feel that there's the weight of the world on and that's how the NBA is. Going back to Anthony Davis, Mark Spears had an interesting remark on the jump a few days ago. He said he was told through the Pelicans there's no way Davis will be traded to the Lakers. Now, clearly we know Davis could always wind up with the Lakers as a free agent a year or so, but given what you know and what we've seen, what we've heard about Rich Paul trying to push Davis to L.A. in a trade before the deadline mm-hmm. and, and seemingly that he'll be trying to force that again, in the offseason, are you buying that part that, that the Pelicans just will not do it? I think that the Pelicans are being smart. Pelicans know that they have the cards in their hands right now. And so what they're saying is that we're going to make the best trade at the end of the year. So if you make you make the best trade at the end of the year, you want all the parties out there that can be involved. 
And the Celtics would be one of those parties that has the mm. most assets that you can look at and change and, and get back to, you know, at least trying to win basketball games and having a, a basic foundation. Who would you want? Do the Celtics have more assets than anybody else? I think they do. And that's why I think that the, the Celtics right now, that's why I think the Pelicans have waited and not made that trade to L.A. L.A. was just trying to give them everything. They were like, no, no. Why are we rushing right now when we already have the commodity and we can look at other suitors at the end of the year knowing what the Celtics might get in draft picks and all the things that happen during the free agency. So I think it's a very smart move by the Pelicans. Final break to tell you today's show brought to you by The Athletic. If you haven't heard about The Athletic by now, you got to be living under a rock. These guys have been crushing every element of sports coverage imaginable, whether you're looking for specific local coverage with beat guys or sports discuss under a national lens, anything in between. you got to make sure you check out The Athletic. No pop-ups, no ads, just high-quality content waiting behind every single click. Jake King, Jared Weiss, friends of this show, some of the most knowledgeable guys that cover the seas. And it's not just them. They have Sham Sharania, Sam Amick, Frank Isola, a bunch of other great NBA and college basketball writers. You can't get content like this anywhere else. 600 to 750 new articles every single week. Who else is pushing out content like that? If you haven't signed up yet, take advantage of this deal because it's not going to last forever. Go to theathletic.com slash Celticspeed. Get 40% off your monthly subscription. That's a subscription for less than $3 a month. Seriously, that's it. Just go to theathletic.com slash Celticspeed. Shams, Amick, King, Weiss, all less than 3 bucks a month. Sign yourself up. Go to theathletic.com slash Celticspeed. Let's get back to Max. Stephen A. Smith does not shy away from controversial comments. He was on the mm-hmm. Sedano show uh, recently to discuss what's plagued the seas this year. And just out of the blue, threw this out here. I'll, I'll let you listen. Then there's the element of Boston, Massachusetts. They don't just want a star. Of course, they'll take any star that they can get because their priority is winning. But everybody and their mother knows that, particularly when it comes to Boston, if we could have a white superstar, that would be even better. And they viewed Gordon Haywood as having that kind of potential. So all of those things considered, the players recognized this, were aware of it, and ultimately those who were compromised by having to be on a court with Gordon Haywood were sensitive to it, not because they don't like him, not because he's not a good guy, because he is a good guy. It's just that they know he hasn't fully recovered. Max, you played in Boston. You have been in Boston for a long, long time since. Do you believe in 2019 that this is true, that fans in Boston prefer a white star and that current players who are not white are sensitive to that? No, I don't, I don't believe that. What I believe what Stephen A. is saying is that if you were marketing your team, and this could be as controversial it can be, as it can be. But if you were marketing your team and you had team had players of equal value, you could probably market a player who would be white better than you could a black player in any team in the NBA. So I don't think that he's far off from that. But I don't think he's I don't think Boston would be exclusive to having a player. I always look at Luka Doncic right now in Atlanta. And I think Atlanta would be much further off if they had taken Luca, especially with their fan base, and trying to build a fan base around that particular player. So there are things he said which are true, but Boston does not have an exclusivity on that particular issue. 
So you think, though, that if LeBron's one of the best of all time, there there isn't another LeBron, let alone there being a, a white LeBron. But if there was a white LeBron in the NBA, you think that guy would be more marketable to, regardless of the city, to an NBA team than LeBron James is? Yes. Why? Because exactly what you said. This, the, the fan base of the NBA is a white fan base. You, st- most you think that? Buy, most, most people buy t- you You think not? I don't. Think I, I, I think I think it's mostly. I mean, look, there are plenty of white people think, that go to games. I had season tickets, but do but, you think that the majority? Let's look at the majority of the people who are season ticket holders in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Do you think the percentages would be twenty five, seventy five? They would be white, or they'd be black. I think seventy five. Tw- well, season ticket holders. Seventy five percent of all season ticket holders are probably white. You think it's that high? Do you think <laughs> you, you well? But here, so, well, let me let me ask you. Let's 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 break it down more because uh, you know I, I and I'm certainly not going to reach out to the Celtics to ask that question. I don't know how that would be received. But let me but let me ask you this then. Let's break it down a different way. Let's say that's true. Let's say there's. I don't know, some sort of, I don't know if it comes down to affluence of sponsors wanting to buy tickets for clients, whatever else, and I don't know. it. That gets into a, a, a murky area. But even even if, if you contend that there are more white season ticket holders than there are black, isn't it possible that the larger, greater, states-wide fan base is African-American? No, I think the still that buy tickets. No, I think that the larger base of the people buy tickets, season ticket holders, are white. But re- like remove remove somebody, the buy remove the buy tickets. Somebody, wait a minute, you're asking by you're asking somebody from a perspective who played with the great one of the greatest white players of all time. Yeah, would Larry been Larry was built for this particular team. Now, would Magic would have been a better fit here, or or would he been a better fit in L.A. Just, just looking at you know the cities, how they are, with the persona of the cities. Larry was a better fit here. Sure. I, not only because he was white, Larry, but he was a great white player and he was a great player. Period. Well, I think a lot of that's personality too. Like he didn't want anything to do with anybody. Whereas you know Magic Johnson wanted the glitz, the glam, Absolutely. L.A., Hollywood, Absolutely. all of that. Absolutely. Those, those were two different issues. But you're looking at a guy who was. I was very prejudiced as a basketball player. I didn't think white guys could play. <laughs> God had God had a funny way with me of giving me not one, but giving me two of the greatest white players of all time on my team at, when I was playing. Yeah. Kevin McHale and Larry Bird. Mm-hmm. So I have a perspective of looking at it, not just from, you know, a, a, a player standpoint, but I still remember just looking at the fan base that we had. Love you, Larry Bird. Not only because he was just that he was a great player, but he was a great white player, too. There were a lot of players who were very envious of Larry Bird when he came to the league because he was white. But yeah. then they had to respect Larry Bird because he was a great player. But I think in terms of global appeal and and just the, the marketing of the league and the kids that grow up wanting to be in the NBA right now and, and the stars in the league who are obviously predominantly black versus white, I think there's a big change. You gotta you know, back in when you played, there were a lot more and and more talented white players than there are today. In fact, it, like you could go down, you know, what? if you don't wait think. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What what did you say? There were more talented white players than 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 there than there are than there are now than there are now. Well, I mean, you look at the poor Zingas in the world. 
You look at the Luka Dodgers in the world. You look at for a while when Dirk was playing at his best. But you're league. you're naming you're naming all foreign players. Like who would you say is the well foreign it, players? I'm playing foreign. I'm naming foreign players, but I'm naming guys who are in the NBA. It doesn't have to do anything about where they're from. But are they white or are they black? Am I naming white players? No, that's players? that's true. Yeah, I, I can't so, I can't disagree with that. So these were these are just players who were who were white. It doesn't matter. It makes a difference about you know that. It's just this is who they are. I think that you know it's it's a it's a great question, it's a great debate, but I don't think Boston has an exclusivity on you know wanting uh, wanting a player that would be white and would be great for its fan base. You may very well be right about that. What I think Stephen A. was doing, what I think a lot of people still do nationally, not locally, is bring it back to issues of race that were once clearly very prevalent that. I don't think are anymore when it comes to whether the stars in Boston are white, black from a foreign country, whatever it is. You know, uh, black athletes in this city have have for years and years and years been viewed as gods like Kevin Garnett. You know, obviously, if we're talking about the Celtics is is one of the favorite Celtics of all time and was here for half a decade. Uh, okay, yeah, you're talking about Kevin Garnett. Yeah. He was a great player, but you also look at some of the players during their past. You know, I've talked to a bunch of black players about who have been here, who have played here, and they felt in some ways that they were it's like like Jim Rice, for instance. Jim Rice has a tough time being here, playing with the Red Sox. But what? But what about and, guys who have played in the last say ten, fifteen years? Like more recently, I think I think things have really changed. I think they have definitely changed. But there's still there's still a def- a defined manner of black and white. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can get away from that. I think that people want to put their heads in the ground and think that oh my God, there's you know no there's no difference between a white player, a white superstar, and a black superstar. I I, I just think that you're crazy if you think that way. I think that in the way that society is built, there's some things that which are still out there which favor white players especially if they're great white players. We could obviously do this particular issue forever. I've enjoyed, by the way, very much the debate that we did just have for the few minutes it was. But in the spirit of controversy, because I want to make sure we do this before I let you go, Russell Westbrook, that situation, a fan in Utah who has since been banned from that arena, shouted disrespectful, racist remarks at him when the Thunder were in Salt Lake, told him to get on his knees like he's used to. Westbrook responded by cursing at, at the fan, threatening this guy and his girlfriend as well. Fan denies that he said what Westbrook heard, but plenty of players sided with Westbrook. Several C's have weighed in on mm-hmm. just fan heckling in general, mm-hmm. like uh, mm-hmm. Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving, and, and Brad Stevens. Let's hear from them. We appreciate the fans and you know, their support, but um, you know, sometimes they can get carried away, and you know that was you know out of line. I mean, people always expect us to turn the shoulder and you know we get paid all this money you know we should be able to let them talk to us any kind of way and that's that's just not true i've heard it all man like it utah and, you know phoenix and california whatever you were however where you want to go like fans are going to be passionate about their teams but that's just taking it too far and then on top of it in utah the fans are right on top of you i don't really mind the fan interaction but not while i'm at work and you're trying to get me to go because I, I let me come to your office and yell in your ear like that you know that's the same thing I, I you know value is just the respect thing of, of the game and people's professions one of the best things we can do is try to be alert to the fact that 
everybody involved is human being. We understand that good-natured heckling comes with the territory, and at the same time, there is a there is a line. I feel like I'm asking a stupid question here, Max, but when you played, were you ever involved in one of these situations? No, never was anything like that. Never? Never had anything like that towards me like that as a player. Um, you know, you just got and you play the game. I've had a lot of heckling before, but it wasn't anything that I viewed as personal that I was that I was black or I was white. No. What's the worst just to, in the spirit of levity, obviously, because we've gotten more serious than we're used to. What's the worst you were ever heckled? Maybe in a in a fun way. And I just just heckled, you know, talking about me, you know, talking about my family, uh, you know, um, but I. I just kind of let that go. I think that now it's a new era. I think players are a lot more sensitive. Uh, there's a sensitivity about it. So I, I don't think that there's no way to win unless you do like they do in Europe and you can't play at all. You, you know, they put you behind the fence hmm. and the fans can't reach out and touch you. That's what makes the NBA so unique, the fact that fans can interact in a way that they can almost reach out and touch you like any, like, like no other sport. Well, Kyrie said, you know, he's heard it in a whole bunch of different cities. He didn't get specific, obviously, but have when you guys are on the call and, and in the times that you're seated closer to the floor anyway, because I know that varies building to building, have you ever heard any of this stuff? Uh, no, I have not heard any of that. So when the Russell Westbrook story broke, were you surprised by it, just what had happened and, and the fact that, you know, some of the players spoke out saying that they had been through this? I don't think I was surprised that the players – stepped up and said things because players hear different things uh, during my particular era. No, I never heard anything like that. But you also look at, you know, some of the references during the 80s about, you know, the, 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 the way the league was. I mean, people refer to the Knicks as the not the, the, the use the N word in mm. Bockers. So I don't think that you know, there's some things that aren't removed uh, from the NBA that, you know, still kind of underlying um, the, the tone of that. I don't know what the tone was to Westbrook. I don't know if it was one of the things like bow down because, you know, our team is greater than yours. It might not have been, you know, as, as racial as that, but he took it that way. And that's all that really matters. Uh, this league is a, it's a different league. If you understand who you're playing and how it goes, then, you know, you would just say, Hey, they're, the world still, as much as we want to believe that there's an, it's an equal footing for everybody, this it's not like that. Uh, you know, be it whatever player you were or who you are, uh, it's, it's, um, there, there's still some real differences. Max, we've gotten far more serious over the last 15 or however many minutes than, than we typically mm-hmm. do, which is it's not the way I feel like ending the show. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Here's what I want you to do. Do you have a, a good, just a really good, fun story from from your playing days or since that, uh, that you know, I, I know you tell a lot of stories, but maybe one that, that not a lot of people have heard? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, the only story I can tell, I always think it's the funniest story was, and this, it won't be controversial, but it would be somewhat, you know, racy. Okay. The fact that we talk about um, uh, when the Celtics won the championship. Um, and it was the 08 or yeah, 08. I had a buddy of mine who had went out and was hanging out with some, uh, hanging out at a, at a, at the place he was partying and he sees this woman and he, she was like, um, had something paraphernalia on. 
So he looks at her and he said, hey, you love the Celtics? She said, I love the Celtics. She said, oh, he said, man, she said, you know, my best friend, one of my best friends is Cedric Maxwell. And she said, oh, my God, she said, I love the Celtics. And I used to love Cedric Maxwell. I don't like him anymore. <laughs> He's like, you don't like him anymore. She's like, well, why? And the woman says, He's gay. <laughs> and my buddy said, He's not gay. She said, No, yes, he is gay. I, I saw him on she said, Why why did he say that? I saw him on Phantom Gourmet. And he said him and his partner went out to have something to eat. I was talking about Sean Grandy. <laughs> <laughs> so I can leave you with that one. No, that that's like nothing nothing about you know, being gay, I'm not, you know, I, I have nothing about that. I'm not offended. But at that time, I just thought that was funny that this woman did not like me because the perception that I was gay. But I was on Phantom Gourmet talking about going out to eat with me and my partner. <laughs> and it was Sean Grady. So, I, I can't that, think of know, a better I way to end the gay, show. But I might be gay, but Sean Grady is not going to be my type. Okay, I can tell you that. <laughs> Well, and, and, and Sean's busy getting ready to get married anyway to, to a woman. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, see how you publish that? To a woman. Okay, great. All right. <laughs> Although I'm I'm sure he'd be really fond of you. Uh, you know what? And that's the way I'm not going, okay? I'm good. <laughs> and, and somebody say, hey, I'm straight, okay? I'm maybe, good. Maybe it's I'm something. Maybe at some point in time I'll play this back for him and ask him to respond. And we'll, we'll do that. that. That would probably, if you got some time, probably be a good thing to do. <laughs> Cedric Maxwell, always a pleasure. We'll do it again uh, sometime in the playoffs. All right. Sounds good, my friend. Talk to you later. That was a lot of fun with Max, as always. And, uh, well, I, I don't want to keep this thing going any longer, but I like that we had the opportunity to dive into some of those issues in the last 20 minutes or so of that interview because they're really, they're prevalent topics around the NBA right now and obviously should not be ignored. They deserve a place here on this show, and uh, I can't think of a, a better person to be able to weigh in on it than Max, who just coincidentally was already booked before any of those talking points became relevant. But thanks again to Max, my producer, Evan Valenti. Thanks to Nick, Larry, John, everybody else, all of you for listening. Really appreciate you. Go to iTunes, subscribe to Celtics Beat. Of course, you can find us on uh, Stitcher, on my Twitter. I Put it out there all the time, at Adam M. Kaufman. And yes, we'll promote the shows multiple times to make sure you have a chance to hear them. One more time, today's show brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat or use the promo code CLNS50 to get a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Today's show also brought to you by The Athletic. Get 50% off your monthly subscription just by going to theathletic.com slash Celticsbeat. We'll do it again coming up soon. Evan's going to have you next week because I'm going to be on vacation. And uh, the beautiful part is, as he listens to this, he's finding that out for the first time. So, Ev, enjoy the show. And when I'm listening, I expect plenty of March Madness talk because the tourney's going to be getting going. In the meantime, I want some more Gino, too. We'll see you. sports fans, I'm Coach Nick of the B-Ball Breakdown podcast on the CLNS Media Network. I break down the NBA from a coach's perspective and have some of the best basketball minds join me weekly to discuss the latest NBA news and what's truly going on on the court. 
Subscribe to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast wherever you get your podcasts or find us on clnsmedia.com. It's a great conversation. You in?